let's, let's take it. Revelation 8, starting at verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire, one-third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water in the sea became blood, one-third of all living things in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. We will continue reading this as we walk through it. Um, So... Let's pause and talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we are grateful, Lord, that it's not a novel, it's not make-belief, it's not myths. Your word is alive, and it changes lives when we read it and obey it. And what a privilege we have this morning to gather in your name and read your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, it is so cool. It is so cool that we get to do that. May we take full advantage of it this morning and in the process uh, leave this building not the same person because you've been working hard in our lives. So have your way. We pray for Deb Richards as she's in the hospital with her father right now. Her dad is having serious heart issues and uh, we pray for your help, your assistance, and may your presence be strong there as well. And so thank you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll uh, you'll see from the front end of uh, chapter 8, man, things get uh, pretty dark um, on planet Earth. And it reminds us of a time in American history going back to the 1930s when the Dust Bowl uh, hit the plains and kind of camped out for for many of the years through the 30s. Not only not only did we have a dust bowl that was impacting our country, but as you know, we had the Great Depression. So you had individuals that were dealing with financial hardship, along with men and women that moved their families to the plains to start farming. And um, you might say, well, it was a bad time because. In the 30s, you had drought, you had high winds, and so um, the men and women that moved their families to the plains uh, wanted to plant wheat. Wheat was a crop that was making money, and so they figured out, we can do this. This is easy. This is going to be easy, but uh, it was quite, quite different for them. 
During the 1930s, people were thinking, man, uh, you know, the Dust Bowl, just imagine waking up every morning, you get your shovel and you shovel your floor inside your house, it's full of dirt. Doesn't that sound like fun? No? No, it it wasn't. In fact, um, you, you had several thousand Americans die from dust pneumonia. The dust was so thick in the air, it impacted people's breathing. Got, it just filled their lungs, and they were unable to breathe and ended up dying in the process. So, man, when you, you see what the plains, the middle parts of America were going through, man, it, it was tough. It was a tough time. And you might say, man, it can't get any worse than that. But on Sunday, April 14th, 1935, it got worse. In the history books, it's called Black Sunday because the day started out, it was a sunny, warm day, ended up uh, a tsunami of dust and sand came across the land, and uh, in the middle of the day, it just went black. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. That's how black it got. And you can imagine, it freaked everybody out, which reminds me this morning, coming down Brandywine Trail, boom, in front of... Uh, live church, wasn't that a beautiful sight? Huh? The sun out to the east, and you look a little bit over that way, there's blue mounds, beautiful. You look out over the ridge here, uh, bearable bluffs. Wasn't that beautiful? I had to remind myself because you get into the routine of just coming down, you kind of miss all that, and just saying, wow, this is, God, you made all this stuff. This is cool, you know? But imagine living in that. A tsunami of dust. And just weeks before, March 1935, President Roosevelt had one of his um, advisors speak in front of Congress about the need for better soil conservation. In fact, uh, the advisor for President Roosevelt, as he was speaking to Congress, all he had to do was point out the windows to the congressmen to say, because the sun disappeared in Washington, D.C. That's how bad it was. The dust had worked its way all the way out east. He said, guys, look at the, look at the sky. This is why we have to do something. And in fact, they did it by the end of the year. They had a Soil Conservation Act. So what caused the Dust Bowl? What was that all about? Well, it was man-made. It didn't need to happen. And it was called the worst natural disaster in American history. Yeah, it, it just, it impacted our nation. But it didn't need to happen because back in 1909, there was an enlarged homestead act where the government gave people land to farm. John Deere gave tractors, combines, and so uh, these people came out and said, man, we can farm. This is beautiful land. And so what they did is they took 100 million acres and plowed the prairie gla- grassland under. A hundred million acres. That's a lot of acres. When they did that, they planted seed for wheat. But then you had the drought, you had the high winds. Wheat doesn't do well in drought, nor extreme temperatures. So here's the deal. Prairie grass, this is what God had in mind for the prairie. It has roots that go down five feet and beyond. So when drought and high winds come, those roots hold the soil together. 
Pretty cool idea, huh? Would you say God's got it together? I think he's got it together. Man comes along, buries the prairie grass. We know better and plants wheat. And of course, that's the, that's the production of the Dust Bowl in America. It didn't need to happen. So the Great Plains came out of the Dust Bowl. How? Because President Roosevelt combated the Dust Bowl with what he called a shelter belt. What was that about? The government planted trees from Canada all the way down to Texas. In fact, they planted 200 million trees. And those trees held the soil together. So the Dust Bowl wouldn't happen again. The United States planted trees to combat the Dust Bowl. God combated sin the dust pneumonia that got into people's lungs that killed them, sin is like the dust bowl that will get into your life and it will kill you. Roosevelt planted 100, 200 million trees. Jesus came on one tree. God planted one tree. And he sent Jesus to the cross on that tree to pay for your sin and my sin. Aren't you glad for that? The sin dust that's resonant in all of our lives, when we put our faith in Christ, when we look to that tree and put our faith in Christ, he forgives us and we're free. Which reminds me of a great hymn, the old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Aren't you glad that God planted a tree on Mount Calvary? Hmm? So glad. Well, the Dust Bowl people were thinking, man, this is the end of the world. You can imagine. The depression, the dust bowl, everything kind of hitting the fan at the same time. You'd say, man, this is it. But we came out of it. In Revelation 8, we are not going to come out of it. While we saw for a few years, this will impact the planet permanently. And so... This morning, as we continue on, calm before the storm, I want to read Revelation 1, 3. I want to read it because because it's good to read when we're going through the book of Revelation. We've read it before. Let's read it again. Revelation 1, 3. Cool things happen. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Is that all who God blesses? No. He blesses all who listen to its message. And obey what it says, for the time is near. What time is near? The coming of the Lord is near. When, when John the Apostle wrote this letter on the Isle of Patmos, it was a long time ago, millennial ago. So we are closer now to that time is near than we were when John wrote this, which should just make us become even more alert to the days that we're living As I've mentioned before, for the believer, if you're a follower of Christ, it's going to be bad for a while, but it's going to end great. 
For the unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's going to be great for a while, but it's going to end bad for you. The cool thing about God is he loves you and I so much, he pulls back the veil into the future. We get to look into the future. We don't have to have people who read your, your palms or look to the stars. about. We can read God's word for the future. And no, it will happen. It will happen. And God is giving you and I a heads up into the future so we won't be surprised. Number one in your notes, quiet, verse one, when the lamb broke the seventh seal, the lamb was Jesus. Jesus Christ, he was the only one worthy to break the seal. There was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Why half an hour? Because evidently the people, the occupants of heaven, when they saw the scroll, the judgments that were going to be hitting the planet, it took their breath away. It just just took their breath away. Also during that 30 minutes on planet Earth, it gave people an opportunity once again, all is quiet. It's quiet before the storm. How's it going with my soul? What's the condition of my soul? Jesus said there's nothing worth more on this planet than your soul. You can gain the whole world but lose your soul. So what's important? The condition of your soul. And that's what Jesus was going after. That 30 minutes of silence. It's like a flare in the air to get your attention. How is it with my soul? Number two, seven angels, seven trumpets on hold. Verse two, I saw the seven angels stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. So they didn't, they didn't have seven trumpets. I don't know where the seven trumpets came from. But they were given these trumpets. Number three, prayer matters. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people Keep that in mind. As an offering on the gold altar before the throne, the smoke of incense mixed, here it is again, the prayers of God's holy people. Let's hit hit the pause button for a second. God's holy people, some translation read God's saints. Well, in the Greek, saint means holy. And so the New Living nails it with God's holy people. You may not see yourself as holy, but if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven, he sees you as holy. He sees you as a saint. You don't have to die to become a saint. You're a saint while you're breathing. Yeah, man. So, Anyway, the prayers of God's holy people, the saints of God, ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. And then Revelation 5.8, which we've covered already, echoes this. When he, Jesus, took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Thank you, Lord, for that. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You see, reading Revelation, that God, you may think your prayers don't amount to much. You may think you can pray and it dissipates into thin air. God takes every one of your prayers and he keeps them safe in heaven. He doesn't forget about those prayers. Every prayer is valuable in the eyes of God. Why? Because you are valuable in the eyes of God. Years ago, a reporter was being interviewed after coming back alive um, from Mount St. Helens. This was a local reporter up in the Northwest, and he had his camera crew and his microphone, and he was standing near the crater of Mount St. Helens. Guess what? He got the surprise of his life. It blew. Boom. How would you like to be up on town of Mount St. Helens? And, and it blows up on you. Hmm? Man, I, I had, that's on my bucket list. I, I, I want to do that, man. Well, it's, it's putting your life on the line. That's what happened to this dude. And he's running for his life. The camera's running. So guess what? The pictures are blurry while he's running. The mic was on, so it captured everything he said running away from that blow-up. He admitted it after... This was played on a talk show where he was being interviewed that he vaguely remembered saying any of it. But when you listen to the recording, it was kind of eerie. It was him breathing deeply and sobbing several times and him talking to God directly. No formality, no cliches, just despairing cries of despair in a crisis. Things like, oh God... Oh my God, help. Help, oh Lord God, get me through. God, I need you, please help me. He's sobbing, spitting, gagging, coughing. It's so hot, so dark, help me, God, please, please, oh God, on and on. Isn't it interesting that after it was all over, he was safe and sound, he kind of forgot what he said to God. Isn't it how, how humanity is when you're in a crisis, oh God, you know? Oh, God. God is there. He wants to help, but we as humans are so, we're so arrogant, man. You know, prayer? Talking to God? Well, this dude running on Mount St. Helens thought it was pretty important at the time. God puts great worth on your prayers. In fact, David, when he was going through a personal crisis in Psalm 41 and 2, listen to how he put it. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. How many of us could say, man, sometimes I become impatient with God, don't we? Yeah, we, we go, I, I'm just going to walk away. No, no, no. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the pit of despair. I've been there. You've been in the pit of despair? David was there. Out of the mud and the mire? You've been there. I've been there. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. That's our God. He's waiting to help. He hears our prayers. He collects our prayers. 
That's what's going on in heaven right now. I want to encourage you to pray, man. And the cool thing is, even Jesus prays. You would say, the Son of God, Jesus has to pray. He wants to pray. Well, what am I going to pray for today? Well, just to give you a starter, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet right now. He's praying for each one. He's praying for you, specifically. Hebrews 7.25, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Romans 8.34, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading, interceding, praying for us. Aren't you glad for that? He's praying for you. He sees what you're going through right now. He sees the baggage that you're carrying. And he wants, he wants to deal with that mess in our lives. But we have to give him permission. Debbie and I had the privilege back in June 2011 to go to Houston, Texas, for a prayer gathering. And it was there that over 30,000 people came from around the country to pray, to repent for our sins as a nation. And there was, there was worship, there was prayer, and I can tell you something, man, it, it was powerful to be in an environment with that many people. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? There'll be a 30,000 corner over there, you know? We're talking about millions and millions and billions of people. Ah, uh, man, that first song was cool today. Was that cool? I felt like marching almost, man. Woo! Man, he is, he alone, he alone is worthy. Great song. Man, what, what is heaven going to be like? It's going to be awesome. Which leads us to number four, fire from heaven, verse five. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Things in chapter eight turned violent. After the the silence of a half an hour, the the trumpets were handed out. Verse five, um, things go bad quick. The angel takes this burner filled with fire from the altar of incense and he throws it at the earth. And this symbolizes the prayers of the believers that have been collected in that incense burner. In other words, God has acted on their behalf. We'll we'll hit this in a moment, but in heaven... Those martyrs had been shouting to God, how long, God, will you wait to deal with the people that took our lives? I want you to notice they didn't take it in their own hands. They were committing it to God. God, you need to deal with this. Revenge, getting even, is God's business. It's not your business. Wednesday night at, at Alpha and dot, 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 Man, has that been cool or what, Alpha? Every week it's growing. It is so cool, man. 
to learn more about Christ, the gospel, the good news, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Anyway, Corey Tenboom is tells her her story about forgiving. And as you know, she was in Ravensbrück concentration camp with her sister Betsy, and her father was thrown into a concentration camp. He died. Betsy's sister died. After the war, she's out speaking on forgiveness. And guess who's in the crowd? A prison guard from Ravensbrück concentration camp. She recognized him. And he came up to her afterwards. Man, Corey, you're talking about forgiveness. I have become a Christian. I have put my faith in Christ. I did horrific things, and Jesus forgave me. And he's got his hand out, wanting to shake her hand. What's her hands doing? She's got them in her purse, freaking out. I'm not going to shake that dude's hand, man. He, I knew what he did to me, my sister. I'm not going to forgive him. What would you do? Yeah, well, she said, I stood there. Eyes whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, could not forgive. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So I prayed to God, help God. I can't lift my hand. It's stuck in my purse. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched at me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands in the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Corey Ten Boom realized she needed God's help. And here you have these martyrs in heaven shouting to God, God, you need to take care of this. We can't do it. God said, I'm going to take care of it. The timing's not right yet. Paul echoes in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 3, he says, In his justice, in God's justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And so... I referenced this earlier in Revelation 6. The martyrs are saying, how long, Lord? This is what it says. I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, When was the last time you shouted to the Lord? I I just want to submit that. Have you ever shouted to the Lord? Can I tell you, when you live in a broken world, things happen in our world that don't make sense. And you can shout to the Lord. 
God, this does not make sense to me. I don't understand why this is going on in my life. And God does not have a lightning bolt in his back pocket and he's going to zap you because of it. One of the many reasons why I like the book of Psalm is David is so transparent, it's raw, his prayers. And he does some shouting and he does some despairing and he's very authentic before God. God is big enough to handle it. And he gives you and I permission to be authentic in his presence. And here you have martyrs in heaven that are shouting to the Lord. They're not whispering. They're not typing it up on their computers and sending a memo to God. They are shouting. God, this doesn't make sense. We gave our lives. We were faithful. What are you doing about it? God says, wait. Verse 11, a white robe was given to each of them. And we're told to rest a little longer. You know, wait. But now the waiting is done in chapter 8, Revelation. And it's interesting that when somebody is hurt in the body of Christ, when somebody pays with their life or is mistreated, that you are doing it, it's being done to Jesus himself. Paul learned that in Acts 9 when he got knocked off his horse and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Remember, Saul, Paul, was pulling Christians out of their homes and having them killed for their faith. Jesus didn't say, you're, you're, you're killing my people. He said, he said, you're hurting, you're persecuting me, Jesus. Because he identifies with his body, which is you. Number five, seven angels and their mighty blast. Verse six, then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blast. They prepared. They didn't blow them yet, but they had the trumpets. They had it up to their mouth. They were waiting for the sign, boom, to blow them. The first angel is told to blow, verse seven. It impacts Fire, trees, grass are burned. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. A third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned and all the green grass was burned. I I can't explain how hail, fire, and blood are mingled together, but if it's in the Bible, it's going to happen somehow, some way. The target of judgment is the green vegetation, the trees, the grass. One-third of all of it on planet Earth are gone. Boom. How do you think that's going to impact the food supply? It will. In fact, the word trees in the Greek here means fruit trees, the trees that produce fruit. I have an apple a day. How about you? You don't eat apples? In fact, I went to the store yesterday and I bought those little orange gizmos, you know, that you peel them real easy. That's what you, cuties, yeah, cuties. I don't want to say that from the pulpit, but we'll, yeah. 
You know why I like those little things? Because they peel so easy. It gives me a sense of power. You know? Makes me feel good. I have that for breakfast. So, you know, start my day off on the right foot. Fruit trees, man, they're impacted. They're impacted. And imagine the pasture lands, the milk, the, the meat industries, all one-third, boom, gone. And number two, the second angel, water, sea, ships destroyed. Verse 8 and 9, then the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the water in the sea became blood. A third of all things living in the sea died. And a third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Imagine a mountain of fire, it says. A great mountain of fire. The second angel blew his trumpet. A second, a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. It turns a third of the ocean into blood. So you think of one-third of the ocean, one-third of the ships were impacted. Right now, in the world, there are over 55,000 ships on the water. According to verse 9, 18,000-plus ships will be gone, boom, just like that. It's going to play havoc with the fishing industry, the seafood production, etc. The third angel, wormwood impacts the water. Verse 10 and 11. Then the third angel got the signal to blow his trumpet. A great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness. And literally that means wormwood. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. John sees a great star. A great star fell from the sky. That word star in the Greek means aster. That's where we get our word asteroid. It's very possible that um, it falls from the atmosphere into the earth, um, causing um, the water to go bitter, poisoned. Just a footnote, Colossians 1.17, it says that Jesus existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. I don't worry about asteroids, stars, planets crashing into planet Earth. I know there's myths out there, you know, uh, that's a, that's a, a possibility. It's not going to happen. I know it. Because Colossians 1.17 Jesus holds all things together by his spoken word. I can put my head on a pillow at night and know that everything's cool because he holds all things together. But just like the martyrs up in heaven crying out, shouting, how long? There's coming a time when Jesus will stop holding things together because of his justice. And that's when asteroids will hit the earth and a third of the water impacted. The fourth angel, sun, moon, stars, go dark, verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet. 
Just pause and think, use your imagination what that looks like. The fourth angel sounds his trumpet. And now judgment hits the skies. A third of the light from the sun, moon, stars will be darkened. And what that does, that moves people's attention away from planet Earth because everything is hitting the Earth. Now everything out in the sky is being darkened. So they're moving their focus from here to here. Could it be that God in his grace once again looked to the heavens There is a God. There is a creator. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me. Beckoning the world. You can imagine the flashback to the Dust Bowl, you know. People thought that was the end of the world, but this is the real deal. And so some sort of eclipse is going to impact the sun and moon and everything in the heavens. And back on March 10th, 2010, there was a volcanic eruption in Iceland. Some of you may remember that when it shut down air traffic through Europe for six days. Why? Because of the explosion into the atmosphere impacting vision and the safety of these planes getting through that area of the world. Well, this is going to be much larger. It's not going to be for six days. It will cause pandemonium throughout the world. Jesus had this in mind. In fact, in Luke um, 21, he said this. It's red letter in your Bible. He himself is giving us a picture into the future where he says, There will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. We know the moon impacts the tides. In the oceans, well, it's going to impact some strange tides. And people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in the heavens will be shaken. This is only after four trumpets sound. There's three more to come. We'll hear about that in Revelation 9. But look at number 6. There's more trouble ahead. Verse 13. Then I looked, John, looking. I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air, terror, 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 three times using the word terror. That's symbolizing this is very, very important for you to hear this. Terror, terror, terror. To all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. Man, bad stuff. You think this is bad? It's going to get really bad on the next three. It's possible that when John saw this eagle, it was one of the eagle-like living creatures in Revelation 4. John says, The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out, day and night. After night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who won, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Could it be that God was sending this, this eagle on a special mission? It's possible. It's possible. Mm.
All of this will happen because the world pushed Jesus away. Like the dude running down Mount St. Helens, man. I didn't mean what I said. God, I, I don't need God. There's, a coming, there's coming a day when his justice will be served. But as we look at verse 13, there is something that jumped out at me, friend. It, it, it literally jumped out at me. It grabbed my attention, and I hope it does for you too. John said, I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who, this is, this is it, to all who belong to this world. That hit me in the face. Because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. I want to ask you this morning, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Because if you belong to the world, it's going to get bad. And it will be bad throughout all eternity. But if you belong to Christ, Jesus said in John seventeen fourteen, I have given them your word. He's talking to his father. He's praying. This is, this is his time with the father. And he's praying for you and for me here. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. There's the same word. They do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. Doesn't that make sense? If Jesus doesn't belong to the world, we shouldn't belong to the world, right? So when we speak of the world, it's everything not under the banner of the name of Jesus Christ. So we are in the world. Yes, we are in the world. We can't help that, but we should not be of the world. That's the difference. James, James the brother, the half-brother of Jesus who pushed Jesus out. When he was growing up, didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was until he became an adult, and then it made sense to him, and then he put his faith in Christ. He became a pastor, and he writes the letter of James, and he says, love to the world and for the world is spiritual adultery. In James 4, he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Automatic. You're a friend of the world, you're automatically an enemy of God. Automatic. You don't have to vote on it. You don't have to decide. A friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Boom. I say it again. In other words, this is very important. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. And the scriptures say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, are you a conformer or are you a transformer? Either you'll be conformed to the world or you will transform the world with the light of Christ. And Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Yeah. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't let it impact you. Don't don't let it make you a conformer. Be a transformer, Paul says. Present yourself to God. So, 
what's this look like, man? All hell is breaking loose on a planet, you know? A third of the planet is being destroyed. Somebody wrote an article, How Do I Prepare for End Times? And they wrote it to Roger Barrier. Roger is a pastor, a conference speaker, a Christian author. And this is what they wrote to him. Dear Roger, it seems like the world is falling apart and I'm scared. The possible pandemic of the coronavirus, unrest in Iran, disastrous wildfires in Australia. What, what do you think is going to happen? Is this the end? Is the book of Revelation being fulfilled now? Will things ever return to normal? Will the earthquakes, revolutions, and genocide increase? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, and you don't have to answer them all, but I would appreciate if you share some thoughts on the current crises. Thank you, a concerned Christian. Is that you? After reading through this, does that mess with you? It shouldn't have to. I mean, you can you can bring that to the Lord. And he concludes, we can help the kingdom of God to come to earth by praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can pray that. And a final word as we depart, don't ever doubt whether or not the train will be on time as it comes into the station. The second coming is right on time. Live as if Christ is coming in the next 10 minutes. Plan as if he is not coming for a thousand years. That's good counsel. Dear concerned, I hope you find this helpful. Love, Roger. And so, this morning, as the folks in heaven, the martyrs in heaven, are worshiping God, what will help get you and I through it? Our perspective that God is in control and he is worthy to be praised.